0: All right, before I get to my next guest, Tom Patry, I want to remind you about our good friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore. They're uh, sponsoring this segment of the show.
1: This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show.
0: And now back with me here on the French Lake Resort guest line is our resident director of golf and that is tom patry tom is a golf tips magazine top 25 instructor he uh, served this summer as a director of instruction at the hawthorns golf and country club in fishers indiana shortly tom will be headed back down to naples florida which is uh, his winter residency you can visit him at esplanade golf and country club in naples to get your golf lessons down there tom is absolutely fantastic he's got a great website tompatry.com go on there and subscribe to his newsletter as well and it's always a privilege to have him as part of the show. Hey, T.P., how are you, my friend? Chrissy my man. What's happening, big boy? <laughs> <laughs> ah, it's always great when you're a part of the show, T.P. How are things going for you, my friend?
1: Oh, pal, it's, if I was any better, I'd be you. You know, Chris, I, we got to we got to kind of rush this segment because I know you want to get off because at 10 o'clock on ESPN, the Yankees are on. I know you want to watch that tonight. Yeah, I um,
0: so, know. Yeah, I wouldn't want to miss the start of that game, goodness. I, uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> how was your how was your, trip to, how was your trip to Boston?
0: It was awesome, Tom. I you know, good. Good. I know you and I talked a little bit while uh, we were uh, headed up that way, but uh, the North End in Boston is outstanding, the food and uh you know, that Italian section we yeah. Yeah, the food up there is outstanding. So yeah, we had a great time there and and our good friends yeah. over at Legal Seafood to get some <laughs> lobster as well and then a couple of oh, games at Fenway Park. One was awesome. Sitting on the green monster, watching us destroy the uh, Angels 16-4. to The next day, oof. we got to hand it right back to us when we lost 12-4. to So a, a tale actually, of two games, actually, but yeah. all in all, great.
1: I'm actually heading up to uh, Portland, Maine, the end of September with my wife to do a little striper bass fishing and uh, and see some friends up there. and eat some lobster myself, so I'm looking forward to it.
0: Ah, good for you, my friend. Be sure to take some pictures and yeah. let me know how that yeah. goes.
1: I will do
0: so, want to get your thoughts on a couple of things and I want to start by getting your thoughts on Joe LaCava, who is Tiger's caddy. He got inducted into the caddy hall of fame. I saw your tweet about him. Uh, you got, have you gotten to spend some time with Joe over the course of time?
1: Yeah. You know, Joe was, uh, with Freddie for 20 plus years and, you know, Fred, Fred's a good friend from college and, and Joey through the Fred relationship became a very good friend of Denise, Denise and mine. And, uh, uh, when when Joey and Fred were together and they played either in the Shark Shootout or the, or in Fred's early career in the Champions Tour, they'd stay at the house with us during the winter when they came to town. So Joey Joey spent some time in the house and we got to be very close to him. And he's a he's a unique individual because he's a, an extremely humble guy. He, you know, for the success he's had and the bags he's carried and been a part of and the, and the contributions he's made. And, uh, and I can promise you, during Fred's career, he was he was way more than a caddy to Fred. And, and I think the same, I I don't know much about the relationship with Tiger. I haven't had that much, that, that much insight into that, you know, that relationship, but I had a lot with Freddie and uh, he's a incredibly humble guy. He's very, very talented at, at his craft. He's uh, a very calming influence on the bag, a pretty good player himself, but you know, plays the game nicely himself and, Just, just a quality human being. So I I couldn't be happier for him. I think that induction is long overdue. He's um, in the annals of golf history. I think 25 or 30 years from now, when when you and I might be dead and gone, he'll be looked back as one of one of the great, you know, craftsmen of of that of that skill set ever. You know, right up there with anybody you can name. You know, whether it was Angela with Jack or. You know, it was Stevie Williams or Bones or anybody you can name. You can go back further, but he, he was – he's very, very talented at what he does.
0: Tom, I want to switch gears a little bit. I want to, I want to go back to your time in college in, uh, at your alma mater, oh, Florida oh, Southern. Oh. And, you, <laughs> and you led them to a Division Two National Championship back in 1981. Your team won that event by 35 strokes. You capture the individual title. As well, talk to me about what you remember about being a part of Florida Southern at that point in the school's history and then uh, being a part of a national championship team.
1: Well, Chris, we have to go back to the previous century to do that first of all, so I mean <laughs> you know we're going we're, we're going we're going we're going way back uh It was nineteen I was there in 1980 and eighty one I transferred in there uh as a junior uh they had never won a national championship at that time although well, they had been they had knocked on the door. The previous three years, uh, the year before I got there, Tom Gleaton, who's now a club professional in, uh, in Connecticut, um, won the individual. He was the first individual champion. So when I joined that team in 80, um, there was a lot of expectation for that team. And, uh, in 80, we, we lost by a shot. Uh, and it's a, it was a pretty controversial loss. We were penalized six shots in the second round. And it's a long story, but it was, I think basically they, they, Really kind of screwed us on the ruling, but that that's a whole six shots and lost by one. So when we went there in '81 to uh, Simsbury Hot Metal Country Club in Hartford, Connecticut. We were we had a chip on our shoulder, and truthfully, one of the great things about that team and that program was Charlie Matlock, who unfortunately passed away a couple of years ago. Who was a dear friend, became a dear friend of mine. Our coach. Um, he played a very, very strong – you could do this back then. We played a very, very strong Division One schedule all year long and played very few D teams all year. So, you know, so we played, you know, whether it was Alabama or Florida or Georgia or, or Tennessee or Texas. Um, we played at Wake Forest, North Carolina. We played a kind of Georgia Tech. We played a very, very D1 schedule all year long. So when we got to the Division National Championship, we were underwhelmed by the competition, quite frankly. And, and we, we really felt like we were the best team in the country and, and, uh, and proved it that week. I think that year, if I'm not mistaken, individually, we finished first, third, fifth, seventh, and 11th individually in that tournament. Uh, I think the worst place finished for of our five players was 11th uh, the year I won. So we, we really kind of steamrolled that, that golf tournament. Um, and that, that kind of launched that whole Florida Southern um, golf program. Uh, I think you know, I don't know how many they've won right now. I I lost track, but I think they've won 13 or 14 national championships. I I might be wrong. Right. Uh, they've had, they've had the no, last 13. two individual national championships. 13. Okay. 13. The last two individual national championships. Have probably had eight or nine. You know, if you look at the roster of guys who played in Florida Southern, Lee Jansen won two U.S. Opens. Rocco Mediate lost the Tiger in a historic playoff at Pebble Beach. Marco Dawson won the British Senior Open. Um, you know, for a Division Two team to produce those kind of players uh, was unprecedented. And, uh, and really, frankly, Chris, looking back, you know, I, I, was, I was on the cusp of a change in college golf. I, the 1980-81 period, right after that golf changed dramatically, uh, the, golf, the golf ball started going a lot further. Um, people played the game very differently. It became very much a power game, which it really wasn't during my time. Um, so I, I was right in the transition period of the game really changing, uh, both on the collegiate and professional levels. But it was uh, it's a great memory. I, I've, uh, I i got away from the program for a while. The man that came in and coached the after Troy was not um, very receptive to some of us coming back and participating, which was too bad. But the, the kid who's at the helm now, Lee White, who played there, Uh, has taken over the program. He's reached out for some of us, and I'm hoping we'll be back involved again. Actually, invited me up in January to spend a day with the team, so I'm really looking forward to doing that again for the first time in a long time, Uh, and hopefully that'll create a a little more user-friendly nature for some of the alumni to get back and get involved again.
0: And Tom... One of the things that we've talked about over the last couple of visits is is about some of the younger guys coming out on tour and having success right out of college and onto the PGA tour. And we talked about Matthew Wolf and Colin Morikawa, Victor Hovland, those guys. And, and you you talked about it being right on the cusp of change. How much has, do you think the college golf game has changed since your time at Florida Southern?
1: Oh my goodness. Because it, it's, it's not even close. Like, I have a, a young man up here with me and Fisher's right now working with me who plays a uh, big 10 golf, who I've worked with for about oh, just under a year now. And um, we spent some time together in the last, in the last year and he's a very fine player. Uh, had made a real kind of breakthrough in his golf game this summer and did some wonderful things. Um, and we played a couple holes, say, late in the day after we worked together. And, you know, you know, it hits it. He hits a 300 yards. I mean, everybody hits a 300 yards, Chris, everybody. I mean, that's the norm. I mean, when I was playing college golf, when somebody hit a 280 or 290, they were kind of freakish. And if anybody hit 300 yards, I mean, everybody talked about it. You know, it was like somebody hit 300 yards today. Now, now, if you don't hit a 300 yards, you're not, truthfully, Chris, when a kid comes to me now and wants to has a dream of playing college golf, I always feel bad, when, no matter how talented the kid is, if he gets to me and I watch him hit some balls, and he doesn't hit it very far. I almost have to, I, I almost have to tell him that maybe you know you should go play checkers or chess or something because you're not going to compete, it's not, not going to work out. I mean, it's just not, it, those days are over, man. If you don't hit it three plus or can't at least hit it in that area, it's not going to work out. It's, it's, it's those days are past. So the game really has changed, it's become a power game. Uh, I, I feel bad, and I and I try very hard with my players to, to develop their wedge play, their intermediate wedge play, their short game skills, their managerial skills. Uh, I think that's what's missing in some cases with the really good player out there and the not so good player. I think that more Cowler, for example, and I think Matthew Wolf, if you watch them, they hit it a long ways, but they have a lot of good shots to hit around the greens, and they hit a lot of you know knockdown or flighted shots very well. And I think that's the difference when some of the coaches out there who are training some of the more elite players, they get the fact that, yeah, they have a power game, but they need those, those, those skill sets that can control flight and trajectory and curve. Um, if they're really going to be elite out there.
0: So let's, let's switch gears and let's talk about some of those playing lessons and some of the things that we can do to maybe save ourselves some strokes. One of the things that, um, I wanted to get your thoughts on Tom, because many of us can't get out to the, uh, out to the golf course, you know, two or three or four times a week, whether we're playing golf or we're getting onto the driving range. What are some things, what are some training aids that we can have at home that maybe we can go in our backyards to practice, practice our swings, maybe practice our short game or even on a rainy day, bring it in the house and try to do some things to hone our games there as well.
1: Yeah, I, I think I think there's a lot of things you can do, Chris. I mean, I think I'm heading back to Naples, as you know, but, you know, for the people who are, you know, north of the Mason-Dixon, um, and even you up in Atlanta, you know, it gets chilly up there. You get days you really can't be outdoors. I mean, things like an impact bag, things like a mirror to work on your positions in front of, in front of a mirror during the winter, things like speed sticks, things like a swing fan, uh, you know, a place you can putt indoors, even if you can set up a, a net in your garage. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do. And now, like for example, I have a an online video academy, V1 Video Academy. that People send me, you know, subscribe to, and people send me videos, and we work remotely. A lot of the videos I get during the winter from my from my online students are being filmed indoors. They're hitting shots into a net, or they're doing drills in front of a mirror, and I'm commenting on the drills and and you know working through how to tweak them and make them better. A stretching program. There's so much you can do indoors, you know. So I mean, if 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 you're if you're stuck in the Northeast or you're stuck in you know the Midwest where it's not very user-friendly outdoors, you know, we we can, there's a lot of things we can still do to enhance your golf game.
0: And Tom, you were always, and I'm sure still are, a very incredibly straight driver of the golf ball. What's a tip that we can do? Because so many of us that only get to play on the weekends, we're either slicing it into the trees or we're, we're hooking it, you know, down the left-hand side. What are some things that we can do and we can work on to become more consistent and hit more fairways.
1: You know, Chris, it's funny, I, you know, not so much for my elite players, but for my recreational players to come, I got to tell you, 99% of the time I see their, their hands on the club incorrectly. I, I see the grip is way too weak in their left hand. Um, they've got it in the palm of their hand. They've got it in the palm of their right hand. The hands are not unified enough. So, you know, it, it, I tell them all the time, you know, the, the grip is like the steering wheel of a car. And if you if you had your hands upside down and crossed on the steering wheel, you spend time hitting the guardrail a lot. So the way you put your hands on the club is going to give you a fighting chance to square the face uh, and have control of the golf face during the course of your golf swing. And after we've got the grip in place, I don't think people understand the face path relationship very well, uh, and and where and how to feel the face path relationship or how to drill the face path relationship. And that's where I go back to things like the impact bag indoors. and and different kind of drills to work on face and path. So I I think you got to start out with a good sound grip and put your hands – listen, there are are a lot of bad grips on the PGA Tour, but they're anomalies. They're outliers. I mean, Freddie does not have a great – what we call a classic grip. Um, But you've got to discount that. You're not not Freddie, and you don't have Freddie's talent and hand-eye coordination. I think you look at guys like Adam Scott. You look at guys like Tiger – uh, you look at guys like Mr. Hogan who grip the club, you know, very classically, and those are your models.
0: Tom, you've mentioned an impact bag a couple of times, and I think one of the things I that have. most of us don't understand is what what does that tell us? If I if I went out and bought an impact bag and I started hitting my golf clubs and my irons into it, what what am I looking for? What's it going to tell me?
1: You know, you know, Chris, it's interesting you ask me that because it's very often I'll walk down a range at at a club. Uh, any club I've ever worked at or taught at, and you'll see a, a 15 handicap rehearsing his backswing. And when I when I walk up and say, tell me exactly what you're rehearsing and why, often they can't give me an answer. And I'll say to them, do me a favor, show me impact. And they look at me like I have three heads. I'll say, well, show me impact. Show me what impact would look like. And they'll get into some kind of contorted position where their hands are pressed real forward, the face is the faces aimed way to the right or looking way to the right. Um, the, their spine will be inverted quite a bit. They're hanging on their right foot. Their left hip is not open very much. Um, you know, their, their shoulders are way left of the target. All their lines basically are wrong. So I said, you know, it's funny. If you really knew what impact looked or felt like, and that's all you ever rehearsed, I, I think you'd be way down the road. I mean, and I said to him, listen – Jack Nichols had a flying right elbow. Jim Furyk looks like an octopus falling out of a tree. Raymond Floyd laid the shaft off. But if you look at their impact positions, pretty good. So instead of spending a lot of time rehearsing a backswing that you don't understand, what if all you ever rehearsed – and I'm, I'm, and I'm being a little facetious here – but all you ever rehearsed was an impact position that was really, in fact, understood and pristine, do you think you'd have a better chance? So I, I think if you can get with your coach and really define – really allow him to define to you what impact is and you took an impact bag and a full-length mirror and all you did was rehearse an impact condition all winter long i gotta believe when the sun came out in april you'd be better off
0: Tom, one of the other strengths of your game is putting. And we've talked about this before that, you know, the putting green is an area where most of us don't spend enough time practicing. And that's a place where we lose a lot of strokes. We're three putting our way around the golf course. So we're, we're throwing away 36 strokes at least, or 18 strokes, at least, uh, you know, through the course of our round. Talk about the importance of spending 20 to 30 minutes regularly practicing
1: your putting. 20 to 30, you said 20 to 30 hours, right? <laughs> hours? Yeah, I it's meant minutes that. Or
0: hours? hours, of course.
1: Yeah, hours. Right. So, you know, I have a at at the Hawthorns this summer. There's a there's a short game area right behind the practice team And so often, Chris I'll look down the range, and the range will be full. I'll look over in the short game area. There'll be one person over there, and he'll be over there for five minutes, and he'll get bored and he'll walk away. And and putting practice by the amateurs considered taking three balls to the putting green and putting from hole to hole. Which is basically a waste of time. So when I grab somebody finally, I convince them that listen, they need to spend some time doing this, and we, then we define what time means. I, I'll set up any number of skill drills, whether they're face facing path drills, whether they're speed control drills, or you know we'll go through reading a green, you know we'll, we'll go through you know any kind of drill that will enhance us skill in putting. Um, no left no left first breakdown. You know, staying fairly stationary, keeping your head still during the stroke—any, any, any number of things—and we'll, we'll define what their particular weaknesses are, and we'll assign drills to the weaknesses, and say, "Listen, this is your putting practice routine now. This is your, your putting laboratory. This is how you set up your putting practice." And they'll look at me like, "Man, I've never done this before, and I, I just can't. I find it so hard to believe that one nobody's wrapped their head around the fact that." That one club, that little flat club that kind of occupies that one little spot in your bag, you know, accounts for about 43% of the shots you're going to hit, and the second highest stat is about 11%. That that putter is going to is going to rule or ruin your day. When you're hitting it good and you putt well, you capitalize. When you're hitting it bad and you putt well, you you stay respectable. So if you can't if you can't understand that mathematically, from a common sense standpoint, you really don't understand golf.
0: So, Tom, one of the things you talked about is reading the greens. And I tell you, that's a place that, uh, you know, my buddies and I struggle. right? How, how many times, and then you, you can see this a little bit on the PGA Tour, where we, we go up there and we'll, we'll line up the putt, we'll stroke it, and then it breaks one direction. And we're like, I thought it was going to break the other way. How did it break that way? I think we're bad readers of the green. What are some of the things that you do or we can do better to make sure we're reading the break of the putt uh, more consistently.
1: Well, one of the things I do, one of the drills I do, uh, Chris, is I'll take somebody to the green. I'll say, "Okay, let's just work on green learning today." So do me a favor. Let's put one ball down, I, and I throw it somewhere on the green. I point to a hole, and I'll say, "Okay, do me a favor. I want you to read that putt the way you would read it, and then and then stroke it and hit it." And oftentimes they'll hit it, and it'll you know either it'll read it incorrectly, or maybe it'll over or underbreak compared to what they thought it was going to do. It's okay, now, so now you saw what the ball did. Let's now walk around the screen and and you tell me when you realize what you didn't see originally that now based on that result, you see and they and they walk around and, and suddenly they go, "Oh, I didn't realize that this moved this way, I didn't see that view I, I didn't walk over here." I said, okay, let's do it again. I'll throw a ball somewhere else, and I'll putt to another hole. I so, said, okay, hit the putt, and, of course, something will happen. And I said, like, okay, let's walk around. Oh, there it is. I missed that spot right there. I didn't realize that. I think that if you practiced reading green by hitting putts, and then if you had an inappropriate result, if you just walked around and started looking at things after the fact in a, in a green reading session, your eyes will become more astute. Your ability to see things and look at the nuances on the surface will become better. And you'll have more educated eyes. People don't spend time, ready for this, educating their eyes because they don't take time to walk around and see where mistakes are being made and what they missed. So I think there are subtleties on greens that architects build into greens. because the architect's job is to deceive you, your job is to solve the puzzle. So they take a great deal of time in building nuances and subtleties in the surfaces and your job is to detect those nuances.
0: I love that. Solve the puzzle. Very nice. Yeah. TP, before I let you go, you've got a wonderful newsletter that's available on your website, tompatry.com. Talk about what, what folks are going to find when they go to your website and how they can sign up and get your uh, get your newsletter.
1: You know, a couple of things on the website, Chris, that are changing is uh, it's actually being redesigned over the course of this winter coming up. But the newsletter is available. You can sign up for the newsletter, which is quarterly, on the website. Number one, it's free. And in the newsletter, you'll get uh, information about upcoming school specials, lesson specials, etc. You also get, you know, a lot of swing tips and short game tips and information. You'll get uh, information and stories about the tour from time to time with players that, that of course, my lesson tee that have helped me become a better teacher, that will help you become a better player. So the newsletter is pretty valuable, and it's free. So why wouldn't you sign up for that? You know, free – if if it's free you should take three right, chris i mean that's easy and then also on the, on the, also on the website is uh is information about my online video academy which people can subscribe to and 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 then again it's you can either do a six month unlimited program or a two year unlimited program for a very nominal amount of money um as compared to an hourly uh live lesson get a lot of mileage out of that so that's there and then there's a there's a whole blog page with with you know almost fifteen years of uh Articles that I've written for various magazines, there's video, there's the equipment page, there's all kinds, of, there's a junior golf section, there's a lot there. So if they visit com, they'll have access to all that stuff. And there's some. There's also some videos on there, too, that are that linked to my uh, YouTube channel.
0: And talk about social media. How can we follow you on social media as well?
1: Yeah, social media, which takes about uh, 25 hours a day of my life, is... Uh, Two Facebook pages. There's an Instagram. There's an Instagram page. There's a LinkedIn page. You know, so every every resource that you probably know out there uh, is is all available. You know, com is the website, and then at TomPatrick is is obviously um, is obviously Twitter. So it's pretty easy to find me in any of those places, Chris.
0: Well, Tom, it's always a privilege having you as part of the show, my friend. I can't thank you enough for continuing to come back and and join me as often as you do. Always insightful, always a lot of fun. Thank you for being here again tonight, my friend.
1: Christopher, I say this every time, and I'm going to always say it when I'm on with you. I think you do a great job. How somebody hasn't snatched you up, why you're not on the Golf Channel, why you're not on a major network, why you don't have more exposure on SiriusXM is beyond me. You do a great job. Somebody should find you. If anybody out there is listening – Find Chris, get him on a different network, get him somewhere else. He's unbelievable. Thank you for having me. I appreciate being alongside so many great guests you have, and thanks for what you do for the Armed Forces by mentioning him and shouting them out. Um, And, boy, are your sponsors lucky to be part of your show.
0: I appreciate you saying that, Tom. I appreciate you very much, my friend. Look forward to catching up with you again in a couple weeks in between now and then. All the best to you, your wife, and uh, all your lucky students. You're fantastic.
1: Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it, pal.
0: See you, Tom. That's a great Tom Patrick. P-A-T-R-I. So TomPatrick.com is his website. At TomPatrick is where you're going to find him on uh, social media, Twitter, over on Instagram. And uh, like you say, he's also got some stuff going on on LinkedIn as well. So a lot of great content. and, And to his point, why wouldn't you sign up for his newsletter? It's free. Got a lot of great content on it. And then also a path to get the, Tom to take a look at your swing over the winter as well. So keep your game in shape by giving it to Tom, and he's going to turn you into a great player. So look forward to catching up with Tom again here in a couple of weeks. All right, folks, it is time for me to put a bow on this edition of Next on the T. I can't thank my guests enough, Mark Weeby, Travis Fulton, and then right there, Tom Patrick, for joining me. Check out our website, nextonthetea.net. You'll be able to keep up to date with what our guest schedule looks like, so who we've got coming on. You can also, you can find this show available as a podcast on great sites like Podbean. Download the Podbean app if you don't have it. Take us with you everywhere you go. You can get us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audioboom, Player.fm, and a great new site, LaunchpadDM.com. Check us out on there. Hit the subscribe button. We really appreciate that very much. Folks, as always, we appreciate you the very most. We can't thank you enough for making us a part of your golfing content. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.
2: At Jim Ellis Automotive, we take pride in our family-owned and operated business. Hi, I'm Stacy Ellis, Vice President of the Jim Ellis Automotive Group. When my granddad, Jim Ellis, founded our company in 1971, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, my dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. Today, third-generation family members like myself, along with the support of more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values our company was founded on. At Jim Ellis Automotive, we try harder because we sincerely value your satisfaction. That's why we've been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit Jim Ellis.com or stop by any of our 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, still family-owned and operated and where you can always expect the best. Expect the best.
0: Camp Margaritaville RV Resort where you can just breathe in and breathe out. <sighs> or move. There's biking, boating, arcade games, hiking, nearby golfing, or fly
1: through the new Fins Up Water
0: Park. Thrills, chills, twists, and turns. This could be you. Camp Margaritaville at Lanier Islands. An easy one-hour drive from Atlanta. Book your stay today at CampMargaritavilleLanierIslands.com.